Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. We are starting a brand new series today. It's called Investigating Jesus. And I wanna go ahead and tip my hat to North Point Community Church and Pastor Andy Stanley for their amazing work on this subject that we're drawing from today. So I wanna ask you a question. And it might make you a little bit uncomfortable depending on your, uh, like your history, your upbringing, but it might be something you've already thought about or are thinking about uh, right, right now in your life. I remember a time in my life where I was asking this question. The question is, when it comes to knowing if there's a God and, and what he's like and, and whether he loves us or is opposed to us or even cares about us, does it really come down to this answer that this is how I know who God is because the Bible tells me so, like that old Sunday school song, or, or, or this is how I know who God is because another, another religious writing tells me so. We, we live in the modern world with science and technology all around us. Are we really supposed to base what we believe on those ancient manuscripts written by dozens of, of just men over the span of hundreds of years, written in a world without science as we know it, where everyone believed in gods, you know, plural, or some type of God, and, and they were basing things on like weather patterns and other natural phenomena that, that were supposedly telling us it was God. And let's be real, like, weren't they just making stuff up? Weren't they just guessing? And there are people all around us, maybe you, who are in the process of what we hear so often today, the process of deconstructing their faith people dismissing their faith because we're not sure who's right and, and what's really real and what's made up. And so, so there are people who are just stepping back from it or putting one hand on the doorknob and are about to leave or maybe have already left. Should we really be surprised that in our, our world today, people are doing that? Maybe that's where you are. And, and even if you're surprised by where you are, maybe you're saying that's honestly where I am, that you're in the process of walking away from faith, of moving in the other direction. And, and maybe nobody even knows about that in your family yet, but that's where you are and you're about to step away. Should we really be surprised about that in today's world? And then on top of that, if, if all that your faith is about is because the Bible tells me so, should, should we really be surprised that that's where people are. Because if the Christian faith rests on this unsolid ground of, of those writings, right, from the ancient world, the writings of these superstitious men, doesn't it make sense that this is where a lot of us would find ourselves? The, the truth is, Christians are not expected to believe what we believe simply based on a collection of ancient manuscripts alone. We're not just expected to believe because the Bible says so and that's it. And I know some, some of you grew up that way and the, the Bible says so may be enough for you and that is really great, but you need to know, we need to know that the foundation of our faith is far more substantial than that. Like it's way more sustainable than that. It's far more sturdy than that. This thing called Christianity can stand up to questions. It can stand up to investigation. It is that solid, it is that 
substantial. And that means that we're invited to kick the tires. We're invited to ask hard questions. We're invited to do that. If you're a Christian, you don't have to ignore those questions. You don't have to look the other way. You don't have to just say, well, you know, I guess that's all a mystery and never explore anything anymore. It doesn't have to be faith in faith itself because that may work for you, but I'm guessing it's not working right now for like a close friend of yours or your son or your daughter or your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law or your parents or your kids, that there are people who ask you hard questions that the answer just because the Bible tells me so, or or you just have to have more faith, that answer doesn't quite cut it. Here's the really amazing thing about Christianity, and this may sound somewhat shocking at first, but let let me net this out. The Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on that statement, just the statement the Bible tells me so. It rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. So if you're curious about faith, or if you're returning to faith for the first time in a long time, or if you're losing your faith or you're in the process of deconstructing your faith, I, I wanna give you a question that you should wrestle with. And it's not the question, is there a God? It's not a question, is the Bible true? And, and if you've been asking this question, if you, if you haven't been asking this question, I'm gonna ask you, it's not your fault. The church has in general been really bad at encouraging you to ask this question. The question that's at the heart of this entire faith is this, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, a reliable account of actual events. Not even all of them. If any of them are reliable and what they say about Jesus of Nazareth is true, then you should step into that. You should lean into that. You should press forward with your faith because if that story of Jesus is true, your faith is not in vain. And and here's why this is confusing. This is something we don't talk often enough about either, but but here's how the Bible basically happened and how it came to be and, and where we are today. It leads to some confusion on our part. And so let me share with you this timeline about the story of the Christian faith. First, there was an event that happened. An, an event happened. There was an event that, that happened that started all of this, right? It wasn't that a Bible was written. There was an event. And that event was an empty tomb that was discovered. Jesus was crucified. The claim was that he was resurrected and his disciples and the other followers and their detractors found an empty tomb. And that immediately set into motion from an event, it set into motion a movement. This movement was called by some the way. Some people knew it as the Nazarene sect after where Jesus was from. To to others, it was the ecclesia, the the church, those who gathered together in the name of Jesus and because something remarkable was taking place. It almost immediately was an event that became a movement that was then documented. It was documented. The gospels and the book of Acts were written. They were all written in the first century, all probably before 70 AD. So within 30 to 35 years of the time of Jesus, people were writing about what had happened. They were writing it down. There was an incredible movement taking place based on that event. And so it began to be documented. And and then a little over 300 years later, the first Bible was written. The first Bible was assembled. It was assembled. And and here's the point. The story of Jesus is not a, a, a Bible story. The extraordinary life of Jesus is why there is a Bible. Jesus is the reason for the Bible. He's the reason we are here. If there's no resurrection, then there's no church. We're not gathered. If it didn't happen, the disciples would have just gone back to their jobs 
like disappointed, right? There would have been no movement, no church, no Bible as we know it today. It became what it was and what it is because of what happened, the event of the resurrection. So even one of the gospels, the stories of Jesus is true. You need to lean into it. We need to step in. It's worth keeping going. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna explore just one of these accounts, the Gospel of Luke. Luke was not one of Jesus' disciples, but he knew all of them. He knew Peter, he knew James, he knew who was, who was the brother of Jesus, and he set out to write an account. Now, some of you are, are good writers. I'm, I'm a writer, and one thing I know is that the first page of what's written is really important when you're writing a story, when you're writing something. That first line is so critical. It's gotta be good. Like, it's gotta capture people's attention. And, and I think Luke spent some time working on these first words in his, in his gospel. He was a doctor. He was all about meticulous detail. And here's how Dr. Luke began. Many, many, like that's the first word that he uses. Now, what we're about to see is that like if you were writing something that you were making up, a fictional account, like a myth, a fairy tale, you don't use the words that he's about to use. He, he, he goes on many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many, like, like how many is many? He's, he's saying, I'm not the first person to try to write all this down. I'm not the first to try to tackle this story. There, there's a lot of people, many, he says, many people who have attempted to do what I am attempting to do. Let me ask you this, and I'm gonna get a little personal here for a minute. How many will undertake the task of drawing up an account of your life? You know what the answer is? I hate to break it to you, but the answer is not many. Like, like not many people, not many in, in that day, the day of the, of the Bible, even took up writing the task, uh, like writing about famous people in that day. We've got basically nothing about the lives of Caesar, of Pilate, of Herod the Great. The, the historian Josephus wrote a little bit there, but there's not much else. And they were all said to have done like amazing things, incredible things. How many detailed accounts of the life of an ancient peasant do we have? Of, of famous rabbis do we have? None. Like we have some quotes here and there. There's some little snippets of stories, but there's nothing remotely close to what we find in Luke's story of the life of Jesus. And this begs a question, doesn't it? It was like a busy time. It was a hard time just to live just to have enough food on the table, to stay out of trouble. It was a tough time. Why would Luke bother to bring us a detailed account of a Galilean peasant who was executed? Why would that be a story worth telling? Why would other people want to tell it? Why would there be many? There's a simple answer to that question. Something extraordinary happened. Something that not only impacted people in that day, but it had implications for future family members, for future generations. Something good happened, and it had happened in Luke's lifetime, and he wanted to tell that story. Luke, in fact, knew the men and women who played a key role in that story, and, and it says that many have undertaken, this is what it says, to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were, at, who were first from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke is saying this, I talked to the people who were there. I, I knew James, the brother of Jesus. I knew Peter, I knew John. And it goes on with this in mind, he says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He said, I've followed along. 
I've, I've, I've paid attention to these events. I've investigated everything from the beginning. Luke's so careful. He wants to start at the beginning of the story. And so he gives us the beginning of the birth of Jesus. He gives us the beginning of the birth of John the Baptist. He wants to give us the whole story and give it all to us. He's telling us what happened in his lifetime because this story had to be told. And today, like 2,000 years later, we're, we're still talking about Jesus. Why? Because something extraordinary happened. He, he says this. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. And here's the point for today. Luke was not writing the Bible. He had no idea if anyone was going to read it. He, what he wrote was included in the Bible later because of what it said about Jesus. He had no idea what a Bible even was. He was just intent on documenting the life and the teachings of Jesus, which means this. We shouldn't take Luke seriously because it's in the Bible. Luke's account was written 300 years before the Bible was assembled. His account, it didn't become reliable when it was placed in the collection of documents and put together and called the Bible. His account was included in the Bible because it was considered reliable when it was written. It's like uh, this, like when you travel, if you go to a hotel and you, you've got some valuable items like a, like a watch or some jewelry, you know, whatever, and you discover that there's a safe in your room, do you put the things in your safe to, to make them valuable? Or do you put things in the safe because they're valuable? It's not a trick question. You put them in there because they are valuable, right? Luke's account of the life of Jesus was considered valuable the moment it was written. And eventually it was placed into this collection of books that we call the Bible. Not to make it valuable or true, but because it was considered true and valuable the moment it was written because of who wrote it. So when you're asking these questions about your faith or other people are asking you, or, or if you're considering Christianity for the first time, it comes down to this. Is Luke lying? Like, it's not like he can be mistaken, right? Like, you, you aren't mistaken when you're writing the story of the entire life of somebody and, and, and what happened in extreme detail for the next 20 years after Jesus died. He either, like you said, carefully investigated everything from the beginning or he didn't. If he did, then you should step in. You should lean forward. You should pay attention because something extraordinary happened. And if it happened, like, like if it really happened, then it's good for you. It's good for your family and your friends, and it's good for the world for generations to come. It's so clear that Luke believes what he has written. Verse three, it says this, most, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was likely the guy that Luke was writing this for. He wasn't writing the Bible. He was researching, he was interviewing, he was investigating, he was recording this account for the fellow believer named Theophilus. Why? He says this, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of. So, 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 so you may be secure in the things that you have been taught. He's saying, hey, I want you to have certainty in this. It's not just faith in faith itself. No, you know, it's, it's, it's not you just got to believe and you just got to have faith. No. Luke takes the time to document what happened because he wanted to make sure that our faith wasn't just in faith, but it was anchored to the event 
of the resurrection of Jesus. And that event would launch a whole movement that would become the church. And, and, and here's something that's so incredible. When it was finally safe and, and legal, these bishops of the church came out of hiding and they put the first Bible together. Luke had lived in the first century. He'd traveled around with Paul. He'd seen the whole thing. He sees Paul beaten and abused. He sees the, you know, and records that whole story in the book of Acts. And, and so he has this document for Theophilus, the, the book of Luke, and he had no idea how many accounts of the life of Jesus in the early church were written out there and absolutely no idea that his would be one of the four that would survive. And so it was carefully copied over and over again. It was distributed and, and some people even like memorized it. And in the meantime, the Roman government was having these copies collected and burned. And at the end of the third century, the, the, you remember the emperor Diocletian from your history days, world history days? He was the last emperor to persecute Christians. He launched an empire-wide effort to get rid of them, to get rid of these Christ followers. And he realized, hey, the reason we can't stamp these people out is because of their writings. They had all this stuff written down and it had fueled this awful, awful thing for, for them called Christianity. And so they arrested as many leaders as they could, as many church bishops as they could. They shut down these house gatherings. They collected anything that looked like religious writing and they burned it. And some of what they burned were copies of the gospel of Luke. But there were these brave men and women, these Jesus followers and around like the early fourth century, they risked their lives. And sometimes they lost their lives, not, not even over what they believed, but to protect this sacred writing. They would eventually become, that, that would eventually become part of our Bible, documents like Luke and the book of Acts. And so by the end of the third century, the beginning of the fourth, it was so widely distributed that even the emperor Diocletian, he couldn't do away with it any longer. And then as you, as you may remember, Constantine became emperor. His mother was a Christian and, and Constantine has this vision. And, and so he lifts the ban on, on Christians gathering together for worship. He allows them to come out of hiding and these bishops emerge for the first time with these writings that had fueled this movement called the church. And there were these copies of the gospels, these letters of Paul and James and Peter. And they bring all these out and the Roman empire pays, okay, for the assembly of the very first Bible. Constantine ordered 50 copies to be made so that they can all be working off of the same text. It's amazing. So the best scholars bring out not hundreds, but thousands and thousands of manuscripts together. And they compare and they compare and they keep comparing and then they authorize, they decide which ones are more authentic and, and where there are differences. And, and so they put together the very first Bible. But if even one of the gospels is true to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that is enough. And at the end of all four, Jesus is crucified and buried and he rises from the dead and he is seen by many. And Luke records that this man who said all these crazy things. He rose from the dead. And then something happened in the world. And that's why we're here. And that's why you need to pay attention to this. This is why if you're deconstructing in your faith, it comes down to the gospels. So like if you decide I'm not going to follow Jesus because it just, it's just gonna be hard on my life, right? It's inconvenient. I totally get it. It's going to require something of you that may be Difficult. It's going to ask you to forgive people who won't forgive you. It's going to ask you to be less selfish. It's going to 
cost you some, uh, some money probably. It's going to cost you some time because Jesus says, hey, we're his body. We need to do the things for each other and for our world. And if, if you decide that that's too much for you, it's too costly, I mean, I can understand that. Like, that's a reason that some people have. But if you choose to follow Jesus, I can guarantee this, that it will make your life better and it will make you better at life. But don't choose not to follow Jesus because you don't think there's anything to the story of Jesus. Don't choose that because in spite of what you have heard in college or in culture, there is. Don't give up because you don't think there's anything to it until you've investigated the story for yourself because you will have to decide that Luke isn't trustworthy, that he didn't carefully investigate, that he didn't talk to eyewitnesses, that he didn't know Peter or James, the brother of Jesus. But if you really read it, you also just may become convinced that 2,000 years ago, something extraordinary happened for you, for your family, for us, for our culture, and for every generation. The story of Jesus had to be told, and Luke chose to tell it. And so let me finish with some questions for you. Will you set aside your preconceived notions and explore who the real Jesus is with us? Will you commit to being honest with yourself about what you find? And will you allow Jesus to change your life? Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you that we have the Bible as it is today, that we have the scriptures, that there were men and women who risked their lives and through your Holy Spirit, you protected that for us so that we could explore, so that, so that we could understand who Jesus is. For those of us who are struggling, for those of us who uh, are even deconstructing our faith and dismissing things altogether, would you help us to ask the right questions in our journey? Would you give energy and strength and focus to us so that we can explore honestly who you really are? And then, Jesus, will you reveal yourself to us? We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.